Father, hear the prayers of our heart as we just open our hearts and ask you to speak to us this morning through the power of the Spirit. Thank you, God, that you tell us that prayer is like incense that comes up to you. And so hearing these prayers, I believe, is just a pleasing thing for you. And I know that you're going to delight to answer these prayers this morning. Oh God, we pray that you would give us a more beautiful picture of who you are and that that would lead us to run more fully after you than we ever have before. Lord, would you reveal your glory to us this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have you ever walked into a room before where suddenly all the memories flash into your mind from the last time that you were in that room? This day, as he walked into that room, the memories were not so pleasant. In fact, these memories were memories that were probably the worst of his entire life. It was that moment when he had made the worst mistake of his life. He never intended to. Every promise that he ever made had been to the opposite effect. And yet, in that moment, he denied his best friend. In that moment, he turned away from the only one who had shown him unconditional love his entire life. As Peter walked into the court of Caiaphas and he came into that room, he was facing some of the same people that he had faced on that night when Jesus was on trial. Some of the same people knew that Peter was that guy who had said, I don't know Jesus, I don't know that man, three different times. He was the one who had said, I'm going to fight for you. I would go to the death for you. And yet in that moment, when the pressure was on, he completely ran from Jesus. He completely denied even knowing Jesus. So you can imagine, as the elders and the scribes, the priests, as they watch Peter come up and they say, okay, Jesus was a tough one to handle, but Peter, this is going to be no problem. We know how Peter's going to react. If we just put a little pressure on him, he's done for. So all we got to do is apply the pressure and everything will go in our favor. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4 if you have a Bible. We should also have the words up on the screen. But in Acts chapter 4 and verse 5, we pick up the story about Peter. Now the day before, Peter and John had been going to the temple to pray. They'd been going to the temple by the gate, beautiful, and they saw a guy who was begging for alms. And as he was begging, they said to him, silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And in that moment, the man went leaping and he went rejoicing and praising God. And the whole city drew together and they were so excited to see this miracle that had happened. And they began to tell them that, hey, You remember that guy that you nailed to a cross? The one that you killed? It was by his name and his authority that we made this man to walk today. You imagine how terrifying that message would be. But the message was so clothed with mercy and grace because Peter invited them. All you need to do is repent. Turn away from that path and realize how beautiful Jesus really is and he'll welcome you with open arms. That's how amazing God is. You realize that most of us, for most of our lives, have been running against God. We've been doing things that hurt God. We've been hurting people who God loves infinitely. And all of it is creating heartbreak in the heart of God. And yet, He won't stop loving us. 
He won't stop drawing us. He won't stop reaching out to us. With everlasting love, He draws us. He doesn't force us. He doesn't push us. But He draws. He invites. He wants you to come because He thinks that you're pretty special. And He'd like for you to accept His invitation. So in Acts chapter 4 and verse 5, Got to get to the right chapter. Verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the next day that there rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas and the high priest Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. All of the important people were there. In verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, By what power and by what name have you done this? They're hoping that with this display of power, that they're going to be able to intimidate Peter. And I want to put up a video that shows a little bit of what the, they believe was the prison that Peter and John were kept in overnight. We got to go here when we were in Jerusalem. We'll just have it silently playing, but you can see there how it was like this pit. And actually, tradition tells us that maybe Jesus was thrown in there too. We don't know that from the Bible, but early Christians believe this. And you can see that hole up there at the top. So they'd been tossed down into this rock room. This is a possible place where they were, held overnight. The next day, they come before these men of power, and they're seeking to intimidate Peter and John. And they know that Peter is quick to deny his Lord. They've seen it happen before. And so they say, with this pressure, we can count on it. He's going to deny Jesus. But there's something that has taken place in Peter's life. You remember last week what we talked about in Matthew chapter 16? If you missed the message last week, you can go to our website and click on media and sermons and you can listen to it. But we talked about that moment when Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He asked the disciples, and Peter was the one who answered, and he said, you are, do you remember what it was? The Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responded, and he said, wow, you're Peter, and on this rock, meaning this rock of reality of faith, that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And last week we saw how the gates of Hades, Peter would have immediately thought of how right there they had the grotto of Pan where people went to try to appease the deity. They threw human sacrifices in there. They were trying to get God to favor them. And Jesus is saying, I'm not like that God. I am God and I'm revealing the Father and who I am is a God who always treats you like Deuteronomy 32.4 says, the rock, God, there's no injustice with him. I always treat you with love. And I will never stop loving you. I will always treat you that way because that is who I am. And Peter had heard this, and then moments later when Jesus had said, I am going to suffer, I'm going to go before the scribes and the priests, and they are going to kill me, and then I'm going to be resurrected. Peter took Jesus aside and he began to tell him, Jesus, no, this isn't the way it's going to happen. Jesus, this, this is never going to happen to you. And Jesus gave one of his strongest rebukes. He said, get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your, your thoughts on God's things, but on man's things. 
You see, Peter had an idea about who God was and what he wanted to see. He wanted to see God come and destroy his enemies. He wanted to see Jesus become greater and greater. He wanted to see Jesus make himself great in this world and become a ruler here and now. But step by step, Jesus denied that path. Step by step, Jesus chose to put your good and my good before his own good. And then he gave us the invitation, take up your cross and follow me. You should experience the same exact thing in your life. And that's what we've seen take place today. Here we see that John and Peter are asked, what name, by what power did you do this thing? Go over to Matthew chapter 28. Marissa mentioned this in her testimony. Matthew chapter 28 is where we get some of our clearest instructions about this moment of baptism. In Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. There's something special in the Bible about the name of God. Have you noticed that before? And we see this in Exodus when Moses prays, Lord, show me your glory. And how God decides to show his glory to Moses is to tell him his name. He comes before him and he says, I'll declare my name to you. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abounding in long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty. I'm a God of justice. I'm a God of love. I'll never stop treating you that way. You can count on me to be the rock in your life. No matter what happens, no matter the news you get, no matter what's going on in your life, if you cling to that, that I'll never change towards you, I'll always treat you with love. I'll always treat you with justice. That will get you through anything. That will be the rock of your faith. So here, when Jesus tells us to go and make disciples, he tells us to go and teach people, and he says specifically to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we say this as we do the baptism. And sometimes we may think of it as, well, it's just, it's just a saying. It just represents that, that the Father is involved, the Holy Spirit is involved, Jesus is involved, the three persons of the Trinity. But I believe there's something more here. Because you see in the Bible that a name represents somebody's character. It represents who they are and who is God. 1 John 4, 8 says, We know that we know God if we love because God is love. God is love. That is who He is. It is very core. So if you think about this, if you are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, you are baptized into this character of who Jesus is. Now, it might help for us to do a little illustration here. So I need a couple of volunteers. I need a couple young volunteers, maybe actually about four. So if you raise your hand, if you came today and you'd like to help, Logan, I think I saw your hand. You can come up. You want Logan to come up? I need, anybody else want to come up? All right, Gunner, you can come up. Marley, you want to come up? I need one more, one more volunteer to come up and help me. Because here's the thing. There's something really special about the word baptizo. All right, Wade, you can come on up. All right, perfect. No, you can come up too. You're welcome to come too. 
<laughs> All right. So, Wade, we're going to have you hold this jar. So, can you guys say the word baptizo? Baptizo. That's where we get the word to baptize. When we baptize somebody, we are doing it because there's the Greek word called baptizo. Now, the thing about this word is that it comes from something really interesting, right? It comes from actually a poet by the name, or one of the first times that we find it in history, is from a poet named Nicander. Can you say Nicander? All right. So he lived about 200 years before the year uh, before Jesus was born. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this to Marley. Marley, what is this? A cucumber. A cucumber? Are you sure it's a cucumber? Yeah. All right, so that is a cucumber. All right, so Nicander, the poet, he gives us a recipe to make something out of cucumbers. Do you know what comes from a cucumber? A pickle. Right? So he gives us a recipe for pickles. And so he tells us how to make pickles. And in doing that, he ends up telling us or giving us the word baptizo. So what I want to do is, Gunnar, we'll have you do the salt. And Logan, we'll have you do the spices for the pickle. Can you open up that jar for us, Wade? So as Wade opens up that jar, today we are going to make pickles. We're not going to put the cucumber in quite yet. We're going to wait until Wade has that jar open, and now we're going to put the salt in. I had to look up several different recipes. Yeah, you can put it there. That's perfect. I had to look up a bunch of different recipes to find, and then I finally decided they were all different, so I was going to make my own. So hopefully this turns out well. All right. So thank you, Gunner. Gunner has put in salt in there, and then Logan, if you would open that up and very carefully, we're going to put that in there, pour it without spilling it, see if you can. Right? It has dill in it, it has some garlic in it, and I don't remember what else I put in it, but I'm pretty sure it'll go good with pickles. All right, perfect. Thank you, Logan. All right, I'll take that from you. Perfect. So what else do you think we need in that jar in order to make pickles? Vinegar. That's usually what's put in pickles, but I don't like vinegar that much. So instead, I'm going to use water today. So... Marley, would you help me by pouring that water in there and just hold that really carefully, but leave some good space in there, right? Pour that in. Oh, sorry. This is kind of complicated. I I picked a bad jar. How about we do it like that? There we go. All right. And now the moment comes. This is a really important moment, Marley, because here's the thing. As Nicander described a recipe for making pickles... He said that you were supposed to dip the pickle in the, the cucumber in some water, and that you were to take the pickle and you were to baptizo it. You just baptized this pickle. Thank you, guys. You can go back to your seat. Thank you so much. All right. So, Nicander, as he described what it takes to make a pickle, and he used one of the first times that we recognize the use of the word baptizo is to make a pickle. So as I was looking at recipes about how to make a pickle, I found that what they expect me to do now is to leave this somewhere cool and dark. And I don't know how you find that in California, but somewhere cool and dark for from three days, some recipes say, to others say about six weeks. Do you see what this word is describing? Now it's We need to put a little bit more fluid in there or else we're going to have half cucumber, half pickle. 
But this is describing a complete immersion into a substance. Does that make sense? And it's a complete immersion that what's going to take place after six weeks, we hope, if my recipe works? We're going to pull out, not a cucumber, but something that we call a pickle. Something that tastes different. Something that is substantively different when we put it into our mouths than the the cucumber that we put in in the first place. And so God says to us to go and to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizo them in in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, into the character of who they are. That they would become immersed in the reality of who God is. That they become saturated by it. That they would marinate in who God is. And as they marinate in who God is, that they would come to be totally transformed. Just like a cucumber becoming a pickle. Kind of interesting, isn't it? Especially when you look at the story of Peter. Because you think about Peter as he is here in this moment and he stands in that room before the same people that he previously denied Christ before. Now he's before them and they're asking him about Jesus once again. What's changed for Peter? I'll tell you what changed. The cross and the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Exactly. The Holy Spirit bringing the cross to his heart. He saw something in Jesus. He saw that Jesus was a rock in a way that he had not comprehended before. That when Jesus was described as a rock, that he knew that he was just, he knew that he was good. But now he realized that this was a God who would continue doing good even when he was mistreated to the worst extent. That this was a God who would continue to choose to lay down His life for you and for me, even with the weight of our guilt pressing down on Him. That this is a God who, when He went to the cross, He chose constantly to be doing good. Have you thought about that? On the cross, the actions that Jesus takes on the cross? One, He's forgiving those who are nailing Him to the cross. He says, Father, forgive them. Because they don't know what they're doing. He can't stop treating people with love because He is the rock. That's who He is and He doesn't change. And then there's the thief on the cross who first is mocking Him, but then eventually is asking Him to remember Him in the kingdom. And He's able to say, yeah, you're going to be with me in paradise. He's giving salvation to this criminal, this person who had been mocking Him, who now he's glad to invite him into the kingdom. He's looking around and he's seeing, yeah, there she is. There's my mom. I love my mom so much. John, he's my most trusted disciple. John, would you watch out for my mother? Because I'm not going to be there for her anymore. He can't stop doing good. He may be being persecuted. He may be giving his life up. But all he can think about is how to make other people's lives better. And I love that in Marissa's testimony. She said, now I'm realizing that I just want to do good for people, even if it doesn't mean that I'm going to get something in return. That I want that same selfless love. And that's what happens when we marinate in who God is. When we are pickled by His love. When we are immersed in the reality of His loving character for us, it begins to transform who we are and how we live our lives. 
Through the power of the Holy Spirit, that love is poured out in our hearts. And this is exactly what Jesus wanted for us to experience. Do you remember the end of that high priestly prayer in John 17? In John 15, he said this. He said in John 15 that as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. That's an incredible amount of love to wrap your mind around. That's how God feels about you. And then he says in John chapter 17 that I want, I have the same love that the Father has for me, he has for you. And then in verse 26, we'll go there. Verse 26 of John chapter 17, he specifically again takes us back to the powerful name of Jesus Christ as he says this, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it. I I want them to continue recognizing who you are so that they can marinate in the reality of your character. I want them to see your love. I want them to, to be baptized in this love. I want them to recognize this selfless, giving love that never stops, even to the place where the God of the universe says, I would rather that humanity live. I would rather give the gift of life and give up my own life. Where he demonstrated on the cross that he was willing to go through hell for you and for me because he loves you more than his own existence. Because he wants for you to live a life that is fulfilling, that's filled with love, that's filled with his character because he knows that this is the best possible thing for you. And that's what we find that Peter ends up telling them If you go back to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4 continues in verse 7. Acts chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that, that makes these realities real in our lives, Hope does not disappoint, Romans 5.5 says, because the love of God is poured out in our hearts. We marinate in God's love through the Holy Spirit, the person of God living in us. It says, the Holy Spirit filled him, and he said, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? You see his if. As he begins to make his defense, he says, if you want me to defend myself for making somebody's life better, if if you want to judge me because this man who for 40 years was begging and hoping that somebody would give him enough just so that he could have a morsel of food to eat, and now he's able to walk, he's able to work, he's able to be a contributing member of society. If you want to know how it was that this man's life is made better. Well, let me tell you about it. This is how his life was made better. In verse 9, if, verse 10, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, by the reality of who Jesus is, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. This reality of who God is, that he's loving and he'll never stop loving you. This reality that he's always just and he always treats you with justice. This reality, this bedrock of faith, this that I said to Jesus at one point, that you are the Christ, the living God. And Jesus told me that 
this is the rock? He goes to say, well, this rock is the stone which you builders rejected. And it has become the chief cornerstone, the one on which the entire church is built, the one which holds all of the weight, the one in which can handle the pressure, the weather, the storms, the one who can handle it all for us. His name is Jesus. And the invitation really that Peter's making is, would you stop rejecting Him? Back in chapter 3 and verse 17, he'd actually said that, that the rulers did this in ignorance. And he's trying to help them out of their ignorance to accept this beautiful gift of what Jesus has done so that they too could be immersed in the beautiful reality of who Jesus is. And he's using language here that he goes on to explain in more detail. Go with me quickly to 1 Peter chapter 2. Later, he's writing a general epistle. He wants everybody to know these same things that he tells to them on this day. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, he starts off really by telling us how to marinate in God's goodness. After talking about laying aside all malice and deceit in verse 1, hypocrisy, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. And then notice verse 3. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Remember what Marissa said? It's the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. If you've tasted that God is gracious and that is marinated in your life, that has created a pickle out of you, it's changed you in substance, that it's made you somebody different. Keep marinating in the Word of God where you learn that God is gracious, that He's good, that He loves you more than His own existence. Verse 4, coming to Him as to a living stone. He was saying that this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, this is the rock. And now He's saying that Jesus is the living stone. Peter himself says, it's not me that the church is built on, but it is Jesus. It's who Jesus is. It's His righteousness, His love. And as we fix our eyes on that, it changes everything in our lives. It says, coming to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. You want to have confidence in your life? Believe in who Jesus is. Not just the name Jesus, but the reality of his love for you. The reality of his love for every single human being on this planet. And that he would do anything possible to save you. That reality will change your world. It'll change the world out there. It's what should wake us up in the morning with a passion to tell people about the God that we believe in. It's what we should tell people first when we tell them that we're Seventh-day Adventists, that our faith is built on the rock of Jesus Christ and His unchanging love for you and I. Because that's what the law of God is all about. To love God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. 
Verse 7 continues, Therefore, to you who believe, he is, what does it say? Precious. Is Jesus precious to you this morning? Do you want Jesus to be precious to you? I want Jesus to be more and more precious to me. I want for him to, to enrapture me, and I want for all of my, my thoughts to be of his goodness and his beauty. I want more and more of Jesus. And that's really the reality of what he promises for us as we come to know him for the God that he is. Therefore, to you who believe he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You think about why it was that the priests and rabbis, that they rejected Jesus. It was the reality of what Jesus did. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath. He was good to those that they wanted to condemn. He was the one who was constantly there to help people, and they couldn't handle it. And so they nailed him to a cross to try to stop him from helping people. And so Peter, in Acts chapter 4, when he's standing before them, and he says, it's by this name, that stone which the builders have rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. It's an amazing thing. I want to put up a picture really fast. of what these stones look like that the temple was built from. Now, we actually don't have any stones uh, from the temple that I'm going to show you, but this is from the Temple Mount Wall. I'm going to put up a picture of the western wall. You may be familiar with it. Some people call it the Wailing Wall. This is where faithful Jews go to pray and to ask that the Messiah will bring the temple back, that the temple will be rebuilt. Below this, we got to go below this and to see some of the rocks that are further down because that's just the surface level. When you go down deeper, you begin to find those rocks that were there in the day of Jesus. Now, some of that wall was there in the day of Jesus too, but <clears throat> this is the, what's known as the longest stone. You see that beside them that looks like a cement wall? It's actually a gigantic piece of limestone that was carved out by King Herod the Great. You see how massive this stone is? It's 45 feet long. It's like 13 feet in depth. It's much taller than me. They say it weighs like 500 tons. This huge rock is what was this foundation for the temple mount that was expanded by Herod the Great. And Peter would have walked probably past this rock. He would have known as he's writing, as he's telling them about Jesus being the chief cornerstone, he's talking about a massive rock that can handle a lot of pressure, that is trustworthy and faithful, and that doesn't change for thousands of years. That rock is immovable. It's not going to be removed from there. Now, all the stones from the actual temple were totally demolished and taken away, but this part of the wall has not been taken down. Peter says, Jesus will be that rock to you in your life if you let him. He'll lead you as you marinate in the reality of who his character is. He will transform you in a way that leads you to help other people. He finishes by saying this in verse 12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is more than just saying the name Jesus, but this is the reality of who Jesus is. This is coming to agreement, being baptized into the name of Jesus. So what happened today is a representation of 
Marissa's decision to give up her old life and to totally identify with Jesus. And all of you who have chosen that to be baptized, that's what it represents. But it's not just a single moment. It's a lifestyle. It's a constant thing of immersing ourselves in the character of Jesus. And that is life-changing. I want to invite my friend Matt up to share a couple of stories in his own life that to me illustrate that for Matt, Jesus is becoming more and more of a rock. Somebody that he clings to in every difficulty, in every challenging situation. So Matt, tell us about something that happened just a couple of weeks ago. You share the story with me, or maybe less than that. It was pretty exciting. And one thing that happened last last week, week, too. I just want to take this chance, though, just to praise God for his faithfulness in us. Because without his faithfulness in me, I don't know if I could be up here right now. But um, a lot of amazing things have been happening. I'm trying to... uh, um, add some context to it. I'm recently looking for, for a new job and going away from what we've been used to. And, um, and I started, um, you know, praying to the Lord to actually open up doors for me and, uh, you know, open up where I should go, if I should stick with the job I have now or go to a new avenue. And doors started opening. I started getting a commercial fishing job. I, I met with this guy that owns a ranch and he st- I started working with him and and I was going to do this fence bid, and I got the bid. I got a new fence job coming up, and I go home super excited, and I seemed to misplace this folder of mine. It was a metal folder, and it had, for the first week away from the machine shop, um, all the checks that I ended up making for that first week I was gone. And needless to say, I was walking around the house stressed. <laughs> So I couldn't that, find you, it. You yeah. needed that money. I needed it to pay the bills, pay rent, and just to make things happen. We were already nervous about this transition for the whole family to make this. And so I was stressed out. I'm going through my truck. I'm going through everything. It's not there. I text the client back about the fence um, thing. and He's like, I'll get back to you. I'm, I, I was for sure is in the backyard. So he gets back to me about 8.30 at night. It's not there. So... Uh, me, my wife's putting my youngest son to bed. I just jumped in my truck. I was. How did you feel at that moment? I was just, I felt like I messed everything up. I felt through my irresponsibility, not holding on. I was like, uh-oh. This is it's serious. When you start having kids, and what you're going to be able to find out, you'll do anything Pray for, for me. <laughs> well, I'll go so hundreds of miles away to work at places. I'll work 20 hours a day. I'll do whatever it takes to make sure my kids are provided for. And all that money was just gone. So it was just, I hopped in my truck. I got a headlamp on. I drove around trying to find where this binder was at. I went past the house a couple of times. I couldn't find it. It was like 10 o'clock at night. So I went back home, and needless to say, I couldn't sleep. I'm just tossing and churning in bed. And I went outside and had this prayer with the Lord. I'm like, Lord, I keep trying to fix this. I keep trying to make this better. And it just... It's not working, and this is all in your hands. This is all, you know, I know you're going to figure this out for us. So the next day I went to work for the, ra- the guy that owns the ranch, and I told him the story. I'm like, you're going to have to cancel your checks or something. It's just gone. And he's like, well, let's go find it. Let's go to the guy's place. Let's look for it. I'm like, no, it's already figured out. Let's just, I'm here to work. Let's work. So about four hours later, he gets this call. He's like, yeah, Matt Giese, I'm standing right next to him. 
And it ended up being a neighbor that was down the street that was walking by the house I did a fence bid, and he found my binder. So praise God, I was super stoked. So awesome. we hop in the truck together, and we go to meet this guy, and he's asking me, what's in the binder? And I'm like, okay, there's a blue notebook, there's these checks, and then there's also this something, a piece of paper that says Jesus' farm promises, and had a bunch of quotes from the Bible on it. And so I get there, and he's reading through all these Bible verses. So I'm like, well, praise God. He put you in that right position to find this binder. And I told him how great God is and what God's doing in my life. And gave him a big old hug. And with the ranch um, guy, we hand him a business card. And we take off down the road. We get a call about a couple minutes later. He's calling us back. He says, I didn't realize you guys trim trees. So we back to his house. We get a job out of the deal to trim a tree the next day. And then on the way back to the ranch, I'm telling this guy how good God is and, you know, how I told him that all this was figured out. And I had this calmness about me the next day, that, and it all worked out. So I ended up witnessing to the guy I got a job from, to the ranch guy, and I got more income from my family, and all the checks were there, and everything was great. So, <laughs> so as you were telling me yeah. that story, you were saying, man, I wish that my first reaction Amen. hadn't been to run around like, where's my folder, where's my yeah, folder? But first to go to God, and then do whatever he tells me to do. I would have just knelt and prayed from the beginning, and would trusted have peace, in him, peace sooner. I would have had peace, and wouldn't have had all this anxiety, and just understood that he is in control. So. so then last week, you remember that I announced that we were going to have a work bee who was going to be really late at night. No. And what did you hear? What I did heard I we're say last be, week? I heard we're did I say 6 a.m. or 6 p.m.? <laughs> we need a witness. You said something about beating the heat, I'm pretty sure. I did say beat the heat. Yeah. Right? And Matt heard 6 a.m. Yeah. I thought I said 6 p.m. <laughs> Right, so Sunday so, morning, you I hop in your truck, like and, in the morning. and at this ready. point, you've learned that you can rely on God, right? Yeah, amen. And so, so what I happens? Pop up out, of, get in my truck, and it was six or five thirty, maybe five forty-five. I was going to be close, so I'm coming around the corner, and we'll put up a picture of what you saw: a massive tree down on the road, totally blocking the road. Can't really drive. There's past. no way in. There's no way out. So I start walking around and start knocking on the people's doors that live in the area. And uh, I don't think they were super excited Sunday morning at 6 in the morning. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> but he got up and he uh, thankfully put some clothes on and then um, brought his truck out. And I'm out there with a handsaw cutting little limbs. And he brought his bigger truck out. And we started pulling stuff away just so we can have a way to get through. In about 10 minutes of doing that, a guy pulls up behind me. And he owns the family tree service. He's got five chainsaws in the back of his truck. And he hands me a chainsaw, and we just start going for it. So <laughs> we start cutting limbs and cutting limbs, and we're clearing the road. And we're talking with the landowners, too, about you know, how this is all going to get figured out. And I start hearing something. And I'm like, hold on, hold on, Bob, turn your chainsaw off. And we look up, and there's the second part of this tree is cracking right before us. And it's about twice as big as this, this tree here. So he's like, oh, no, i got to go talk to the landowner. i got to get more tools. This is going to get really bad. Can you wait here? And so I'm waiting there, and a guy comes pulling up to go fishing in the morning. And I'm like, you got to get going. This tree's going to fall right now. <laughs> so about a minute after he takes off, this big tree right in front of me just falls down in front of the road. And it is just a mess. And... Um, 
So that's, we just, okay, well, he comes back, we get more chainsaws, we fill up, and we just keep cutting away and cutting away. And as we're cutting, this limb is still falling towards us. And cars are pulling up either side, neighbors are getting out and pulling limbs aside. And all of a sudden, one of our neighbors comes with an excavator and a grapple hook and starts grabbing, like out of nowhere, starts grabbing onto the limb so it wouldn't <laughs> fall on us. And so, okay, we keep cutting, we keep doing our thing, getting the road cleared. And the whole time, this guy with the family tree service, Bob, he's just praising me. He's like, wow, you're such a great hard worker. You're such, you know, everything, you know, you're getting all this done and working hard. And you're here since 530 in the morning trying to make this all happen. And I'm like, Bob, this is what it's all about. This is about community and family and friends just getting together, helping each other out. Mm -hmm. And and, and just just overexcited with um, the Mm -hmm. fact that everybody was able to help each other out. So what ended up happening? We got the tree cleared, and Bob comes up to me, and he, you know, wanted to pay me for my hours, and he's so you got just paid for got volunteering paid to just wow, to help out, cool. and then he also gave me his business card, and he's like, whenever you need work, whenever you know, please, if it's one or two days a week, I got you know work for you, so just give me a call. Amen. <laughs> Isn't God good? Amen. <laughs> That's so awesome. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that story, Matt. I wanted him to share that story because if we just talk about Jesus being the rock for us, it really doesn't mean much. If we talk about it, we say, yeah, that's great, then we go about our day. It's got to impact our lives. Peter said it at one point, but he didn't really believe it, did he? Because he went and he denied Christ after having made this rock-solid statement of faith. But after the cross, after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, after he was immersed more and more in who Jesus is, everything changed. And look at the response, the final verse that we'll look at. Look at the response in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13. When these men see Peter and John and they're saying this boldly about who Jesus is, it says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Friends, they had marinated in Jesus. They had gotten to grasp who Jesus is. And it changed their lives. They were no longer cucumbers. They were pickles. They now understood the goodness of God in a way that impacted how they lived. Don't you love that? Matt telling Bob that, hey, this is what it's all about. For us to, rather than saying, man, this is so frustrating, I didn't get to do what I wanted to do this morning, but instead saying, hey, it's about neighbors coming together and helping each other. The character of Jesus is becoming a reality in Matt's life. And I want that same character to be a reality in my life. That when I see somebody in need and I'm, on a ru- I'm in a rush to get somewhere, my first thought is, how could I help my neighbor? What could I do to make their lives better? That's not natural, but it's something that Jesus wants to stir in us. The more that we focus on the cross and we recognize his self-giving love, the more that he will stir that same love in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, the world needs to know about this. Because just like the priests and the scribes, just like the crowd the day before that Peter preached to, who, by the way, thousands of them joined the church. They were ones who had been persecuting Jesus, who Peter said, you put to death the Christ. 
They joined the church because they recognized that what they thought about Jesus was totally wrong. And I don't know where you're at today. For you, you may totally realize this about who God is. And so your job is to go and tell the world about this, to help other people to see this, because people have got to know he's a cornerstone in your life, that you can build your faith on this Christ, that he is trustworthy, and that he loves you, whether you know it or not. He's drawing you, that like Paul said, we read last week, that he's arranged the circumstances of your life, hoping that you might grasp after him. No matter what you've done to him, he hasn't stopped treating you with love. Friends, we've got to tell the world about that. And if you haven't experienced that for yourself, I want to invite you to to marinate in the Word of God, to be pickled by His character, to get to know the stories that reveal the faithfulness of God, that reveal His constant love, that lead us to want to live lives of faithfulness too. I want to invite you, I'm going to put a, a quote up on the screen that I think kind of summarizes some of this. It's the last quote there. That that. I believe it's from the, the, the devotional, Our Father Cares. It says this, Wait upon the Lord in faith. The Lord draws out the soul in prayer and gives us to feel His precious love. He wants for us to, to feel it, to marinate in it, to know that love. It continues, We have a nearness to Him and can hold sweet communion with Him. We obtain distinct views of His tenderness and compassion, and our hearts are broken and melted with contemplation of the love that is given to us. Friends, this is what it means to be broken on the rock. To come to recognize the goodness of God, the love of God, and for that to marinate in our hearts until that same love is created in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to invite you to consider checking out the same studies that Marissa did. It's called the TruthLink Bible Studies. I'll put up a slide here. TruthLink.org. You can go there and you can find them there. Or you can just send me a text message right now so you don't have to worry about the rest of it. And just text me truth and I can get you a little bit more information about these studies. But these studies are based on the reality. They're by a ministry called Light Bearers. The reality that God is love. And that that is the theme that that weaves together all of Scripture and that is what is the most life-changing thing for you and for me. So if you want to experience that for yourself, first of all, just go to your Bible by yourself and experience it. But if you've tried that before and you're thinking, man, I want something more, something to guide me, try something out like this. Try these studies out. They're not perfect, but they do beautifully display the goodness of God which leads us to repentance. In closing, I just want to invite you to bow your heads with me. And as you bow your heads, as you close your eyes, just to think about who God is. To think about what His character is like. That He gladly went through hell for you. That He gladly wants to deliver you. And think about maybe some of the pictures that you have had of who God is. And ask Jesus to dispel those in your own life. Ask Him to help you to daily marinate in His Word, to daily experience His character in such a way that your heart is changed. And then ask Him, just say, God, would you help me to share this with other people? 
you're really good, and I want to help other people to know this. I want other people to experience this goodness. I want to make other lives better. I want to live a life where my goal is to help other people have better lives around me, no matter what I get in return. Father, we lift up our hearts to you, and we just ask for a heart that's like yours. We ask for a heart that breaks for what your heart breaks for. We ask for a heart that, that, that is tired of the things that you're tired of on this planet. A heart that rejoices in the things that you rejoice in. A heart that is filled with love, that looks out for the good of others before ourselves. Oh God, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on us? Would you help us to daily seek a deeper filling of the Spirit? To daily focus on Jesus. Thank you, Father. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.